How to Survive a Russian Fairy Tale, or How to Avoid Getting Eaten, Chopped into Little Pieces, or Turned into a Goat, by Nicholas Kotar. From the author who bravely faced down a seven-headed, fire-breathing, riddle-speaking dragon and got eaten for his pains. The realm of Russian fairy tales is perilous. You might think you know who's friend, who's foe, but you'd be wrong. Wolves might be friends. Old grandmothers might be cannibals. And the idiot might be the wisest man in the room. So say you find yourself at the Waystone, a boundary between the real world and the world of story. Every road you take from the Waystone leads to danger and the potential of great rewards. But you could end up being eaten, chopped into little pieces, or even turned into a goat. This book is a short guide for your survival. At the end, you'll find the fountain of youth, riches unimaginable, the man or woman of your dreams, and maybe something even more lasting. But getting there is a real pleasure. Buy this book today to enter the weird and wonderful world of Russian fairy tale. Well, obviously, I bought the book. So, Lala, as you write your stories, let's let's read about storytelling, the whole storytelling tradition from the caves of the primitive man. Okay, chapter one, At the Waystone. In a certain kingdom, in a certain land, you may have heard of Russian fairy tales. At least you've probably heard of Baba Yaga, even if it's only because of John Wick. Maybe you're intrigued by what you've heard. Maybe you just like fairy tales, especially the ones that you might not have heard yet. You've come to the right place. After all, reading fairy tales is almost the same as going on an adventure yourself. And uh, this is Grandma. Life is an adventure. It doesn't always end pretty, but it's an adventure. And no matter how much you might think that you're above all that, that you left that desire for adventure in childhood, you're wrong. Even Bilbo Baggins, after all, became an accomplished adventurer. But the realm of Russian fairy tales is perilous. You might think you know who's friend, who's foe, but you'd be wrong. Wolves might be friends. Old grandmothers might be cannibals, and the idiot might be the wisest man in the room. So let's say you find yourself at the Waystone, a boundary between the real world and the world of story. Every road you take from the Waystone leads to danger and the potential of great rewards. But you could end up being eaten, chopped into little pieces, or even turned into a goat. Hint, avoid forest pools with odd animals grazing next to them, period. So the rest of this book is a short guide for your survival. At the end, you'll find the fountain of youth, riches unimaginable, the man or woman of your dreams, and maybe something even more lasting. But getting there is the real pleasure. Welcome to the weird and wonderful world of Russian fairy tales. True to life. That, That was my postscript. Uh, You probably know some of the best first lines in literature. This is chapter two, entitled The Pre-Tale. They're like the prequel of a movie series. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. That's from A Tale of Two Cities. 
Call me Ishmael, Moby Dick. All happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Anna Karenina. Oh, wait, I have an insert here. I was, uh, I was listening to Salman Rushdie, the uh, author on Masterclass, and he said, you can't write about happy families or happy people. There's nothing to write about. There's no, there's no valence in them. That's true. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. From Anna Karenina. But, Karenina. And then, but, um, that is life too. That's what keeps us engaged in the warfare. And that's why, um, fiction is so powerful because you get it intimately in conversation and in processing with your own life. Okay. The arresting beginning is something every writer and storyteller tries to achieve. Russian fairy tales in particular have an unusual way of grabbing the audience's attention. The story be- storyteller begins nearly every story was something called a pre-story. It's not a prologue, though. It's basically a stream of nonsense that has nothing to do with the actual story. That's kind of enigmatic. Why do Russians do this, do you ask? Well, Ivan Ilyin, the great Russian philosopher and writer, has a long essay on the spiritual meaning of fairy tales, included in, in part in the last chapter of this book. In it, he explains that fairy tales in general, and the Russian versions in particular, are far from mere bedtime stories to entertain the kids. They are profound expressions of a nation's mythic consciousness. To enter into that mythical space, the storyteller breaks all the bonds with reality, disorienting the listeners, making them ready to feel the profound meaning of the story, the deeper reality that the plot only hints at. So without further ado, here are some of the strangest ways the Russian fairy tales begin. Segment one, the tease and the promise. The story begins from the gray, from the brown, from the chestnut-colored horse. On the sea, on the ocean, on the island of Bouillon, there stands a baked bull and a pounded onion. In the side of the bowl, there's a sharpened knife. Now the knife comes out. Would you like to eat? This is still not the story, but only the pre-story. If anyone listens to my story, he will receive a sable and a marten coat, a beautiful wife, 100 rubles for his wedding, and 50 more for the party. From Afanasyev's, my Russian is... Oh, I hardly ever speak words to people. Fairy tales. To look it up, A-F-A-N-A-S-I-E-V. Fairy tales. Okay. What on, what on earth does it mean? Well, something like this. Get ready for what's coming and don't dare interrupt. You'll see it all for yourself soon enough. The next segment. Uh, the rhythmical dance. Granny Alina, where did you go? to the new town. What's in the new town? A duck in a skirt, a mallard, and a caftan, a cow in burlap. There's no better cow than she. But this is the pre-story. The story is still to come. 
Flax tow, flax tow, where do you fly? You sat on a shrub, you sat on a shrub, and you sang like a nightingale. Our town, it's not like your town, where the flax tow sings like a nightingale. What on earth? Well, in other words, it's time to re- reorder your perception of reality, to go a little bit insane, to get ready for anything, to not be amazed at anything. Then you'll understand everything or not. Yeah, yeah, it's postscript. That's life. The indiscriminately pugnacious pre-story. Once upon a time, they had to lived two peasants. One was Anton, the other Agafon. Listen, brother, said Anton, the winds of misfortune blow our way. And Anton himself shook like a leaf. Well, what's the trouble? The hail's coming and all our wheat's going to die. What hail? It's just a rainstorm. No hail. No rain. I don't want to talk to a moron, said Anton punched his brother in the face. Neither hail nor rain came, but the blood poured from their noses and ears. But this is not the tale. This is only the pre-story. The story is yet to come, tomorrow after lunch, when you've eaten some soft bread. So in this case, what it means is, here, watch. I'm going to mix up all the cards to throw you into the middle of a stupid argument. After this, you'll be much more willing to believe the incredible events of my story. Okay, then there's the next segment on how Russian fairy tales open. In that distant, the insinuating introduction is called. In that distant time when the world of God was filled with leshier, witches, and mermaids, when the rivers flowed with milk along berry juice shores, and fried quails flew in the fields. In that time lived a king. His name was P. Don't giggle. With his queen, Anastasia the Beautiful. This sort of pre-story takes the soul of the listener by hand, like a child, and leads it to an ancient and wondrous world, almost by magical insinuating, insinuation or chanting. That's what fairy tales are like. They lead us in, freeing our imagination to take flight, feeding our souls to their fill. Then the story leads us back, often finishing in the traditional image of a drunken feast. And there I was, and I drank the mead and the beer, but it all flowed down my mustache and not into my mouth. That means the story is over, and it's time to get sober from our momentary story drunkenness. After all, we were not really drunk. All the liquor missed our mouths completely. Chapter 3, a phrase book for the world of fairy tales. So you've made it past the crazy pre-story, but you still might be a bit confused as you enter the perilous realm of Russian fairy tales. Russian epic poetry has a specific language that even some Russians find difficult to understand. It gives the stories part of its epic feel while also grounding it in a very earthly reality. When if that, even if that reality is sometimes hard to decipher. To help you out, here's a cheat sheet, just in case you ever found yourself lost in the world of Russian fairy tales. 
important phrases for travelers in Russian fairy tales. I'm very angry. I'm going to chop it down to a stub. Sounds. Here's another one. What a gentleman. Your bow is well studied. Your cross is straight from the book. A dangerous woman. A wolf's meal. He's in shock. He shakes his golden curls. He clicks his bejeweled fingers. I'm beside myself. My warrior's heart is boiling. Bad dog or any animal. You bag of grass. (laughs) Would you like to play a game? Should we not play checkers chess, those tablets of gold? Who is that person? What sort of stink comes from behind my stove? Hi. Hail, you brave young warrior. He opened the door. The door swung around his ankle. Sorry I'm late. I traveled a straight road, but how that road has lingered. Wow. I like that one. He's upset. That became for him a great sorrow. It seemed a horrible grief. She's a ditz. A woman's concerns are dazzling, dazzling, and mercurial. As a woman, I guess I have to admit it, but... Mm, Okay. Come to think of it, I'm not sure how much of this is useful, but I'm definitely going to start greeting everyone as brave young warriors. And I think I've found my favorite new insult. You bag of grass. Grandma used to say, you waste of skin. But that was mean and pretty dark. Okay. Uh, Chapter 4, Baba Yaga. So you survived the pre-story, and you have even have a dubious phrase book for unexpected encounters in the dark forest. It's time to meet some of the denizens of that forest. I've got to check the laundry. Let me go uh, move the cycle. Oh, it's a little off balance. Let's see. It'll work. Okay, let's do it. It'll have to do. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Done. Let me turn it back on. All right. Back to the story. It's time to meet some of the denizens of the forest. In the slumbering wood, in the deepest darkness, a hut stands on two chicken feet. In the hut on the stove, Baba Yaga reclines on the ninth brick. Her legs are bony, her nose has grown all the way up to the ceiling, and she's sharpening her own teeth. She looks like an old woman, but there's something odd about her. Who is she? Is she even an old woman at all? Baba Yaga is an ambivalent character that makes her very interesting. She's definitely scary. Her face covered in warts, her crooked nose. She has hands like hooks, a hump on her back. Still, you can't exactly call her a villain. Yes, she constantly threatens to eat Ivan the Prince or Mashenka or 
Basilisa, uh, the beautiful, but we never really actually see her eat anyone. Really, her purpose in the story is to be a magical helper to the hero, even if her help is not always what's expected. In Russian fairy tales, the hero first encounters and speaks to forest beasts, hedgehog, rabbit, bear, pike, etc. Only then can he find the hut standing on chicken feet. After he meets Baba Yaga, he always has to face some kind of test before encountering the real villains of the stories. Koshay, the deathless, Zmeg, Gorionich, the dragon, Liko of the One-Eye, evil fate, Kikimora, Leshi, a forest demon. These and other demonic creatures don't belong to the real world. They represent the world of the dead in the fairy tales. Baga, Baba Yaga belongs to that magic world, but only partly. One of her legs is bony, the other fat. Okay, the border guard of the Deadlands. Baba Yaga is the customs officer of the land of the dead. Her hut is a kind of passport control in that hut. The hero goes through all the necessary rites to begin his journey into the supernatural world. Uh, you remember that scene in The Princess Bride? Okay, well, anyway, he washes in the sauna, which symbolizes the washing of a dead body before burial. He eats and drinks in excess, which is a hint at the traditional feast, Pominki, held after a funeral. He always sleeps inside the strange hut because night is the witching hour, the time of passage from one state to another, and sleep is a kind of small death. To acquire superhuman strength, the hero must pass into the world of the unreal, unreal, where he will be tested after all. His own strength is not enough to overcome the obstacles that life has thrown in his path. Okay, this is the next character. The Ancient Wild Mother.